0: welcome, everyone. It's an honor to be able to address all of you on this fine afternoon. And um, I'm going to speak a little bit um, and direct my talk to the three of you who are visiting here. To, you've been here before, right? Yes. Sir. And you've been here, and you're here for the first time. And um, you know we have a considerable uh, heritage of... Um, Teaching and volumes and volumes of books and terms and concepts that uh, take some time to familiarize oneself with, uh, before which one might feel like they're in a little bit of a language barrier, a foreign place, and so forth. So, I, I wanted to, have to talk to the, to the, primarily to the three of you as far as possible, um, afford you some access into some of the core ideas. Of our uh, teaching, mm-hmm. I'm re- in, in that regard, um, uh, I'm reminded, or it, it comes to mind, that in today's society in America, this is a, or obviously, a political year of uh, elections and so forth. There's considerable uh, talk about and concern about the haves and the have-nots, if you will. Mm. And uh, the imbalance of the... Uh, or as some think, depends what side of the equation you're on or what side of the fence you're on, um, uh, imbalance in the distribution of wealth. So some people have and some people have not by comparison. Apparently, it's a small percentage that has a lot and a larger percentage that has a little. So this is on a lot of people's minds. And um, it comes to mind because I wanted to speak a little bit about, from a metaphysical point of view, the idea of, well, to have, to be, and to love Eric Fromm, psychologist, of the past, uh, wrote a book from a psychological point of view called "To Be," or "To Have," or "Should Have," or "To Be," something like that. Either to have, or to be, or to have and to be. I think it was "Or to Be," but from a, as I say, from a psychological point of view, I want to speak about these concepts of having, being, and loving. To have, to be, and to love from a metaphysical point of view. I realize that metaphysics is not a popular subject in philosophical and scientific discourse, and philosophical discourse today is is hardly uh, separate from scientific discourse. Analytical philosophy is much more popular than continental philosophy, and um, thought to be perhaps more rigorous. Um, I don't necessarily agree with that, but. Um, at any rate, metaphysics is um, problematic, it's thought, and there's an attempt to philosophically and scientifically answer all the questions of life um, um, by way of explaining the nature of the objective world, hmm? um, the physical world. As is means that philosophy is dominated by a philosophy of materialism, sometimes called physicalism or naturalism, um, and many nuances of that and so forth. But in, a, in general, as a whole, as a conglomerate, the idea is um, one that I find rather uh, vacuous and empty and lacking in meaning. It uh, Materialism as a philosophy does not afford us any... True objective way to determine a good or a bad, hmm? how one ought to act, hmm? is not really an issue when all action is thought to be merely physical forces interacting with one another. Hmm? There's no ought there. Hmm. Um, how they ought to act. And of course, if there's in a worldview where there is no way in which one should appropriately act, mm-hmm. then the extension of that is there's also no way in which one should think, which makes logical discourse rather an impossibility. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as coming to any conclusive, objective truth. You follow me? It's a problem, a core problem with materialism. (laughs) Um, Which is thought to be validated by um, reflection, rational reflection on observation. So... um, metaphysical point of view we want to speak of it's hard to get away from metaphysics as much as you try all the values lie beyond the physical Hmm. isn't it um, matter is thought to be the ultimate reality and it's measured in terms of momentum force uh, quantitative quantitative measurements qualitative measurements are some type of thought to be some type of epiphenomenal add-on that aren't ultimately real. Um, But all of our life really is in that unreal realm of judgments and values and purpose and meaning and so on and so forth. So a philosophy that really puts that all very secondary and does away with the self also. Hmm? Um, A real I is, is a difficult philosophy to live by and um, we don't have to so that said in brief we could go on about that for quite a bit but um, but you're here to for spiritual kind of purposes so I assume that you appreciate the, the idea that for a long time now um, there are and still continues to be a group of people who think that there's more to life than physical forces interacting. Mm -hmm. It's the better part, Mm -hmm. Um, (coughs) and how to then uh, experience that or understand uh, the implications of that. What is the more? Mm -hmm. So um, if we're going to speak about to have, to be, and to know mm, from a metaphysical point of view, and Let us start with to have, and the idea of having, as I said, brings to mind for myself, and it may for you as well, the fact that some people have and some people have not, comparatively, and that's a big topic, a big issue today. Hmm. And while I think there's room for um, a more equitable and even honest and morally correct way to distribute the resources. Mm. Um, From the metaphysical point of view that I want to speak of, the problem with having is not that we don't have enough, some of us, but having itself is a problem, Mm. and there's never enough. Mm. So to have, I want to say, is not to know and it's also not to be in any significant sense if we have an identity based on what we have we want to, we have an identity that doesn't know very much and doesn't be or doesn't exist in any enduring sense. Because what we have today is very likely we will not have it tomorrow, or if we do, it won't be the same. Hmm. Right? Hmm. So being, excuse me, having, to have, as I'm speaking about it, means not to know and not to be, and I'll explain that a little bit further, and to be as i'm speaking about it is to know to be is to know hmm? Hmm. to know who is the uh, who is the knower <laughs> but to know and to be which go together is not necessarily to love hmm? and then there is to love hmm? and what I want to say metaphysically, that to love is to really be in a significant sense and to really know in a significant sense. Whereas, if you followed me so far, to have is not to know, and to know is not to have. So these two, having and being, or knowing, they can't tend to cancel one another out. Hmm? Whereas having... Whereas loving includes having and being and something more. Hmm. So, we'll go into them a little bit, the three categories, the three Bs, um, uh, in in some depth. When we speak of having, of course, then, as I said, whatever we have today will be gone, or at least it won't be the same tomorrow. Hmm? Hmm. And while there is a sense of being that is derived from having, in other words, the sense that I am that arises out of what I have, there is a sense of I. So why do I say that having constitutes not being when there is a sense of I and a sense of being that does arise out of having? Hmm? The reason is that I say that to have is not to be, even though it appears to be the case, and and it's more or less promoted that the more you have, the more you be. (laughs) The more you are, the more important you are, the more facility that you have, Mm -hmm. and so forth. And um, so uh, maybe some people might not agree (laughs) with the the idea that to have is not to be, It appears the opposite in modern society. The more you have, the more you be. The more people will pay attention to you, the more important you'll be. The more fulfilled of a a person you'll be, you'll have a life. Get a life. Get something. Hmm. So, um, the point, of course, is very simple. It's very profound, though. Sometimes simple points are lost uh, on us. Um, So... The point is what? That if that which we have, as we've already concluded, is not something that we can keep or something that endures, then the identity that arises out of all of the having, the I that arises out of the sense of mine, what is mine, what I have, is obviously also an I that is in flux as the things are. If we have them today, they're different tomorrow. And that'll show up in a few years, but the difference began the moment after they came into our possession or they were manifest, created, manufactured, whatever may be the case. Hmm. So if our entire sense of I is based on or derived from what we have, given the nature of all the things that we have, being that we can't keep them, that they're in flux, they're changing, they're deteriorating, um, then the sense of I that's derived from this is not an enduring, in the very least, sense of I.
1: Hmm.
0: And in in our tradition, what we consider to be real, we use the word sat, Sat means existence, and it refers to a real existence, which means an enduring existence, not one that is an appearance only, and then disappears, just like your dream at night. You dream at night, but it's short, and it's usually forgotten a little bit as the waking day comes on. And so, because of, in one sense, because of its lack of endurance, it's not considered real hmm? but our waking life in the overall picture is pretty short too hmm? right Maybe hundred years or so mm-hmm. be doing well to be a centarian hmm? um, and that's a very small bit of time, wouldn't you say from a Any, yeah, (laughs) very small pieces of stuff. So, this I then, that's derived from this having, is a very uh, transient, it's it's as transient as the things that we have. Hmm? So the I is entirely derived from the my, the sense of my, and while we can nod our heads and agree, that what we have is not what's so important. Hmm? We fail to make the connection sometimes that the our I to present I material sense of I, like I am, drew from Charlotte, hmm? for example, that an I am student at in Boone right, at Appalachian State, right. This I is tied to all the my's, my parents, my country, my college, hmm, and so on and so forth. There's a, there's a an extension of, of the self that's identified with certain things, hmm, and in, in the identification is by this small two-letter word, my, which makes an even smaller one-letter word, I. Hmm. I is the one of the smallest words in the English language and in every other language as well. And what differentiates it from all of the other small words and large words is it's the word that's most invoked of all words in all languages. Mm. I mm. yo Mm. (laughs) Uh, it's the most used word the most talked about word and the least understood what am I why am I Mm. what is the I Mm. and this I as I'm saying that's derived from a sense of my Mm. It's, it's hard to to get a grip on it. Hmm? We can theoretically get a grip on it, as at least as I'm talking about it, but then to actually live a life that corresponds with what we're talking about, that the sense of I is very, the derived from having and derived from... Identifying with things that are here today and gone tomorrow is um, is vacuous. It's empty. Hmm? We can agree with it, but now what to how to do what to do about that, <laughs> and who will do it? Is there an I at all? Of course, from a materialistic point of view, there is no I. The I is an illusion. From the spiritual point of view of Vedanta, from our school, in one sense, the same thing that the same I that materialism says is an illusion. We agree, it's illusory. That self is 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 a made up self. Derived from a certain arrangement of things, of course. Materialism doesn't go into it in any depth. It's still like, what? Uh, where did the where did the sense of I come from out of the material things? The the the, the, the conglomerate of identification, which is things don't typically identify. Hmm. So there's a problem with with uh, with materialism from our spiritual perspective there is a, a crude form of matter and a subtle form of matter there's physical matter and there's psychic matter this would be a in modern philosophy this might be a property dualism perspective that there are two different properties to matter physical and mental that's a that's a not the mainstream of materialism but materialism is having a very hard time describing understanding the mind understanding consciousness in the way that they want to by making it physical reducing it to matter difficult Hmm? There's good reasons that they're having a difficulty because from our point of view it's not reducible to matter, hmm? but there is a psychic dimension called mind and psychic matter, and the psychic matter is such that when consciousness itself reflects on the subtle matter, it ref- it reflects the real I, hmm? which is has the capacity is luminous and has the capacity to illuminate.
1: Mm.
0: like a light it's luminous and it can illuminate things that are dark mm. so matter is dark in comparison to consciousness it needs the, the light of consciousness for it to have meaning and value so when consciousness proper reflects on subtle matter mm. subtle matter takes on certain like reflected qualities of consciousness itself and then you have this dimension of matter that's psychic in which an identity can be formed hmm? out of identification with things things don't identify we don't expect this chair to one day say hey could you you know stand up for a while i'm getting tired of holding you Hmm? things don't do that
1: Hmm?
0: that something else is doing that to reduce that to uh, to things this is problematic hmm, for materialism hmm? but if we have a form of subtle matter hmm, then we can have an i that arises in mind hmm? and it can be an illusion illusory i also because if it's constituted of matter whether it's physical or mental mm-hmm. hmm, In either case, that I is going to be something that changes. That's here today and gone tomorrow. Because not only do things change, but thoughts change. Hmm? And how we think about certain things change. One day we like them. Next day we think we don't like them. And we may go back and like them again. So our thoughts are in flux. Our bodies and their physical makeup are constantly in flux and changing. Even the molecular makeup of the DNA is somehow changing, while it's somehow the information remains the same. Hmm? So, when we speak of consciousness, we're speaking not only about its power to reflect and what constitutes awareness of things, that kind of brings things to life, if you will. Hmm? Mm-hmm. But um, about something that endures and is observing the ever-changing world of thoughts and things that doesn't change, from which an enduring identity can arise or is to be found. If there's a false identity, then perhaps there's a real identity. If the false identity is one derived from a sense of having, again, where does the sense come from? Having? Who's having? So there has to be some kind of non-physical sense of self that's doing the having. Here we're talking about it's a mental self, it's illusory, Thoughts change as well. Hmm? I could say that I'm this body, hmm? but if you, if I lost my arm, I would still think I was the same person. If I lost my leg, the same person. Hmm? If I lost my head, there's probably a way. Is there a way to keep me alive? <laughs> there will be one day, be one day. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you can change all the parts. You could, you could, you could transplant another head. That's been done before in, in Hinduism, <laughs> uh, but they haven't got to it yet in modern science. But they've transplanted planted faces and hearts, and uh, now they're talking about uploading consciousness. Right? Some these are material ideas to arrive at something that already exists, hmm? an enduring sense of being. Hmm? Hmm. And our thought is that you cannot arrive at that enduring sense of being, real being, sat It's not here today and gone tomorrow, but it always exists. It's not composed of thoughts or things, hmm? but it can generate thoughts in a mind. Hmm? and cause things to to interact in the way that the physical world does hmm? something like a magnet at a distance can bring filaments of iron together so action at a distance this is a problem in materialism the idea that you know one thing has to contact another in order for it to move hmm? That's where they thought that Newton was going back to the occult world that science was taking us out of when he started to talk about gravity hmm? and a force, an invisible force, that caused motion without physical contact. hmm? That's gravity. (laughs) So, of course, it just kind of got included because they couldn't do away with it. I'm not saying that gravity is a spiritual force necessarily, but there are forces that we may not know about and that may not be material and may have an influence. And so consciousness is something like that In our, from our perspective. It reflects, and it has a couple implications, the word reflect, obviously. And it reflects, and it reflects, <laughs> like light reflects and thought is reflective, So it reflects on matter and sets matter in motion. Mm. If we want to find that in the laboratory, you're not going to find that force of reflection. Mm. But there is a way to find it, and that's what real spiritual practice is about. It's been going on for a long time. And the fact that only a few people find it Mm. and talk about it by way of prefacing any such discussion with the point that it's ineffable. Hmm? It's beyond words, it's beyond thought. Still, having experienced it, one is pressed to try to talk about it, to try to reason about it, to think about it as best as one can. That kind of talk and that kind of thinking will have some power, some spiritual power, to help us get a conceptualization with our material faculties on something that transcends conceptualization that we ourselves are constituted of. So we're moving from having and the vacuous nature of it in terms of its any sense of being, the false I, to actual being which constitutes knowing. In other words, if my sense of I, which is a mental sense of I, is derived from having Hmm. I don't know very much, really, about my real self. Hmm. Hmm. I'm identified with things and, and and thoughts without knowing what they are, hmm. and how they've produced this sense of I that's as transient as the thoughts and the things are, the bodily parts are here, and thoughts change, body changes. Hmm. But there's something that doesn't change, that that can talk about the changes. If you were part of the change, how could you talk about it? I can sit here and watch a plane moving across the sky and go, wow, we're going pretty fast. If you're sitting in it, it doesn't feel like you're going fast at all, you're just sitting up there because you're part of the change. Hmm? So there is an I that's the observer the witness, and by lending itself to matter, a smaller I, a me, a mine, arises in relation to matter. But that I, based on having, a sense of having, equated with what I have, is practically not to be at all, because just like the things will change, come and go, and the thoughts will come and go, that I will come and go. So the, the, the sense of being derived from having is is a very a kind of uh, not a very substantial sense of being. So if we went out of our head and we think that makes sense, now we have how are we going to dismantle that sense of I that's problematic because I'm investing a lot into it. I would like it to endure, and you know. What not, and I'm invested on improving it, hopefully, making it better and so forth. Hmm. Um, but all this talk about improving yourself and, uh, and, and and wanting to endure it's all coming from the real self, because this false self is not going to endure, and it can only be improved. To a relative measure, and we want complete. We want to be completely good, so to speak. Do the right thing. So, the spiritual disciplines of yore, and here we speak of Vedanta, which is probably the oldest form of revelation. The Upanishads and the theology there, the Vedanta Sutras and Yoga Sutras, for example. This is theologizing about this. The uh, revelation, and offering a method for realizing an I, a substantial I, and part of that is moving away from having. So, just like in the consumer sense of the word materialism, it's kind of ugly to be a consumer, mega-consumer, and just to have. I was talking about it in a philosophical sense, but in a, in a practical consumer World, you can say I'm not materialistic. I'm into all kinds of things. We still be metaphysically attached to things. We may not be relatively speaking, or from a consumer perspective, a haver. Hmm? Um, But the but to move away from having detachment, hmm? renunciation. Is to is to, is to begin in one sense to dismantle the I that's derived from it,
1: mm.
0: and you start to think that I may be more by having less, to use a Zen kind of perspective, less is more. There may be more in less, right? Mm. So what are we doing when we say that? We're some knowledge is coming now as to the impermanence. Of things and thoughts, hmm? and I'm moving away from the impermanence in my pursuit of enduring life. No one wants to die. Hmm? We want to endure in a meaningful way. So when we weigh in and we, with knowledge, hmm, we think the pursuance of enduring life in relation to things that don't endure makes no sense. Hmm. So perhaps there's more sense of being that can be derived from not having than there is from having. Hmm. I could be more. And what happens, we see, practically speaking, we see that when people have less, and they purposely have less, because they've thought this kind of thing out to one extent or another, they tend to be nicer people. Right? Right? Because when you're on the on the hunt to have well somebody else is being hunted right and there's only so many things to have so yes, suddenly you're in a world you're com- you're in a competitive world hmm? and it's not that friendly hmm? so when we find people that want to move away from having however well developed their sense is of this idea that there's more to being than having, Hmm? we find better people, people who can care more, who have more feeling. Having does not increase your feeling. Hmm? The more you have, the more your sense of feeling becomes numbed. And then the more you have to do to get just like if you take drugs for a while you know i've been there, so i've been around for a while, so after a while, you know it, you got to smoke more you know or take an extra hit or whatever um, to get the the experience you get dulled out and so it is with all types with eating you got to find other ways to to eat it, with with sexual intimacy and so forth and and so um Whereas, moving away from having, we get a different sense of of being that's more kind, more generous, more satisfied, more complete, more whole. So what real spiritual discipline is about then is how to kind of systematically move away from this ego derived from having and come into a real sense of being. So to, to have, now to be, in one sense, the difference between to have and to be, is that to have is to not to know. Hmm? It's an ignorance. Attachment corresponds with ignorance, material attachment, because it's it's the pursuit, the attachment of things to be more, hmm? but you're actually becoming less. Hmm? You follow. Hmm. So then, to know this is to come to a greater sense of being, a more wholesome sense of being. And when this is fully played out, and we move from having to being, then that self that reflected on subtle matter that caused the mind, psychic dimension of matter to to go into motion, and, and the physical world and so forth, starts to be... Uh, experienced, perceived. Hmm. In other words, we can say, I am American, or I am this, or I am that. Man, woman, from this state or that state, Republican, Democrat, Catholic, Hindu, I am this, or I am that. Is a very small idea of being compared to I am. It has nothing to do with this or that. It's not derived from this or that. It means the world of thoughts and things. Hmm? I am is way bigger than "I am this or I am that. Hmm? And when we through yoga practice, for example, or spiritual discipline meditation, through good guidance, we gradually learn to detach ourselves from the sense of being derived from having and so forth, and we start to get some experience, we start to feel fulfilled in that, we go deeper in it and so forth. What's happening in that is, as I say, you find nicer people because we're moving out away from the world of competition for things. You need less. You need to breathe. You need to grow something to eat it, but gee, there's a lot of land around. Hmm? If everybody grew something in their backyard, you know, I mean, there'd be a lot of food on the block. We'd put the grocery stores out of business. Hmm. Uh, So, when we move towards this spiritual sense of being, away from the material sense of being derived from having, we become nicer people. We start to solve huge material problems. We can solve the, we could really solve the economic problems of the world. Of course, not everybody's going to do it. Therefore, it's sought to be impractical. Hmm? But some people may be thoughtful enough to do it and solve the material problem for themselves. I mean solve your economic problems, solve your um, moral problems, hmm? moral dilemma is risen above, hmm? um, political problems, you name it, social problems. All problems will be resolved. All the problems in life arising out of this false sense of I. Hmm? If you do away with it, all the problems that go with it disappear as well. Hmm? So now you're moving from an identity of taking, having, of possession, to one of not possessing, not taking. Not taking... If you meet a person who's not a taker, Nicer to be around than one who's a, who's there just to take from you, right? If you know this person, just you know, it's really it's painful for me if I go to a store sometimes and a, and a, the uh, the salesperson comes up and you can really see that he really wants you to buy because he's on a commission and you know it's like really painful to watch, hmm? to experience, and I know in this store I'm just looking, I'm sorry. Hmm? But you're also just looking at me, just as to foster your sense of being that I'm not part of. Really, I don't, I don't want to be part of. I, I don't want to buy it. Hmm. It's always it's it's just very painful. For, 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 it may be for you as well. You know, I'm mean, not just because it's bothersome, you know. But but I can feel he, he wants it. He needs it. So. Hmm. He wants. I want. This is the this is the whole problem. I want. Mm. My guru Maharaj once said about well, he was said one of it. He was told, but that, that such and such student wants. And Prabhupada said, My guru said, as soon as you say I want, it, it becomes material. Wow. Mm. So of course we have to move gradually in the in the direction from material to spiritual. But what I'm saying is from a sense of being that's derived from having to a sense of being that's derived from not pursuing things, hmm? not assuming that the world of thought hmm, is is more than it is. hmm? Uh, Most of our thoughts, of course, are in relation to the things that we're identified with. So, Um, what you find there is a person who's not Taking so it's much nicer to be around a person that he's almost attractive. She doesn't want anything. Let's go meet her. Hmm. It's it's a fact. So therefore, if you hear about somebody that lives in a cave, only, mm-hmm. hmm, right, and and just just lives on air, breathing, still thinking, but but it's minimized considerably. Wouldn't it be attractive to go meet that person? You think,
1: yeah. Hmm.
0: I've heard that even several presidents of the United States over the years made secret connections with such, or tried to, with such people in India hmm? to get advices. Hmm? There's records of Nixon and Reagan, hmm? also Nancy was into astrology. You know. Uh, so that's that's an, that's one thing but of course there are many um pseudo sadhus in india as well per capita there's more bogus spiritual people in india than anywhere else but <laughs> along with it there may be some sages as well but anyway the point is if a person is truly detached doesn't want anything they become more attractive than persons that want things in order to be attractive right if I could have this, I'd be more attractive. Hmm. I could be more, have more attention, which we want. We want some attention, we want we want to be loved. If there's no real sense of being derived from having, you can be sure there's no real sense of loving. It only a facsimile of that. Hmm? It's a world of taking. Love is about giving. So if I, my I is based on having or taking, and everybody else is, there's no giving. So you have to be in order to love. If you don't even be in the first place in any real sense, then how will there be any love in a real sense? But if we move to a world of being based on the knowing as to the world of having Mm. and how vacuous it is in terms of being and how frightening it is really, how unfriendly it is.
1: Hmm?
0: Well, you become more friendly and you become naturally attractive. You become more attractive than even the people who have, you know, so-called man or woman who has everything. Hmm? has to be a little attracted to the person who has nothing and isn't, not the poor people necessarily, but doesn't want anything. Doesn't need anything. What do they have? Would be the question. What do they have? Because that's the only question you know how to ask. Because you're in the world of being, of having. They must have something. Hmm? Will they have themselves? Hmm? And not the vacuous sense of self derived from having, hmm? but the self that animates the world of having of thoughts and things in the first place. And the way to find that self and to enter into that world of of enduring being is just the opposite of the world of having. Hmm? The world of having, it's said in a crude sense that you have to step on people's heads to get ahead. Hmm? It's an old saying, I don't know if they use it anymore. When I was a kid, they used to use it like that. Uh, Now, here in spiritual culture, we think, if I have my head stepped on, I'll be better off. For they're always putting their head to the ground and, and humbly thinking of themselves and the serving disposition and non-taker and moving in a backwards way. I often invoke the adage, go within or go without. That's your choice. Hmm. If you don't go within, you're definitely going without. Hmm. You understand? You're going outward and you have nothing. So you're without in both senses of the term. Mm-hmm. You're without, you're not in. And you're without, you have nothing. Mm-hmm. Go within or go without. Mm-hmm. The world of having is to go without. To go, to go The world of being is within. Where everything lies. Even the mind. Sometimes people say, well, it's only in your mind. Only the mind. <laughs> it's a big thing. Hmm. Hmm. the world of thoughts is more significant than the world of things thoughts assemble things Hmm. we all live our life as if our thoughts have bearing on what we do you can't trace it out in in the mind-body problem of the modern scientific community but even every scientist lives his life as if my thoughts matter Hmm. they move matter Hmm from the Vedanta point of view, there is something called the mind. Again, it's the psychic matter, and then there's the physical matter. Hmm. But if we go higher from physical matter to psychic matter, and then categorically to a different realm, the realm of consciousness itself, we have something very profound. So again, I am is way bigger than I am this or I am that. And we go there by going inward, inward. Hmm. It's a very practical thing, and it's very objective too. You're a science student of science, right? So science is pride itself in objectivity, right? We measure things, how things interact, not how I feel about them. Hmm? That's how things interact. So I want to get an objective take, right? (laughs) But real spiritual discipline is more objective than modern science in the sense that what happens when you become objective is that you step back from a thing, right? And you don't let your emotions and feelings get involved. You see, one thing interacts with another. It might feel to me that that means this or that or may look like it means this or that, but I measure it and I see mm, it doesn't correspond with my feelings, therefore I divorce my feeling from it and what's real is what's going on. So naive reality, hmm? naive realism is thrown out. and It's not how we think and look and we perceive things are. It's actually the world's working in a different way. This is a scientific perspective. Hmm. Um, but... <clears throat> in spiritual discipline we move away from merely with the idea that the objective world is 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 all there is and 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 we we experience the self that is not as i say derived from things attachment and so forth and we become a gentler more complete more whole, more fulfilled person, a nicer person to be around. Hmm? And what that person is, is not a taker. He's not taking. But he or she's not doing much, that's okay, because much of what we're doing is just for having. Hmm? I want, therefore I work. As soon as you want, well, you've got to get going. <laughs> you've got to do something. If you don't want, then you can sit. right? Don't just do something, sit there. When we were kids, it was my age. Uh, don't just sit there, do something. Now we can say a little more Eastern philosophy, subtly integrated into the Western world, don't just do something, sit there. In a meaningful sense, as I'm talking about it. It's not so easy. Because you have wants, therefore it's hard to sit there. But as much as you sit and go within and and experience a sense of being that's not based on thoughts and things, then the less wants you have. Because you're experiencing a a, a self that you're not trying to protect or create by having, that exists in an enduring sense beyond any sense of having. Hmm. So, that person is a non-taker. Not taking is part of giving, right? If you're not a taker, then um, you're different than someone who is. Hmm. But not taking is not the full face of giving either. Not to take is good, but to give is another thing. Hmm? Now, the world of having and the world of being, as I began earlier, are different in this sense also. One cancels out the other. If you don't want, then you don't have to move. The world of having is about movement, about action. We call it the world of karma. Karma means action. If I have wants, I have to move. Mm. And that movement creates an I and so forth, and the wants do, and it's illusory. So if I have now knowledge about the vacuous nature of the sense of I derived from having, and I don't want anymore, Mm. then I don't move either. Do you understand? So knowledge in the sense in which I'm talking about it cancels out action. And the other side, action cancels out knowledge. Hmm? Even in a simple sense, it's thought that if you get an education, then you can make more by doing less physically. Right? So knowing sometimes they put knowing knowledge will set you free hmm? at the college. Hmm? The universe knowledge will set you free. It's carved in. Free from what it means you have to work less, less, a, less. Action, physical action. So, you know you have your intellectuals, and you have laborers. Hmm. So, in one sense, when I'm speaking about it, knowledge and action, they don't correspond. They the one cancels out the other. Hmm. I've given some material examples to kind of give that idea, but to take it to full measure, as we're talking about metaphysically, knowledge of the self and the fullness of the real self gives me no impetus to interact with the world and the false self that derives from interacting by taking and having. hmm. But, now, that said, while having means... To have means not to be in any real sense. While to be. To have means not to be and not to know. To be means to know. And to be. Mm. And to not have. Because you don't need it. It's ignorance. Mm. But to be and to know is not necessarily to love. So now we have to go to loving. Hmm? And this is what our school emphasizes. And it emphasizes in this way that that loving and the pursuit of loving in a metaphysical sense hmm, takes the best from having and the best from knowing. Hmm? And has something more as well. Because love requires action. Right? If I love you, and I'm going to serve you, I'm going to do what you want. I'm going to find the things that you want, and I'm going to, I'm going to be animated for them, and it's and it's going to be effortless, effortless. The labor of love, right, There's no labor at all. It was a pleasure. Hmm? Um, what do they say? Um, con mucho gusto. Mm -hmm. Hmm. my pleasure Mm -hmm. Hmm. I've done done something you know it's it's my pleasure it's my pleasure to serve Hmm. so there's movement in loving Hmm. and it may be a movement that causes us to interact with things too, the whole world we just moved away from this vacuous sense of self that was hunting and gathering and taking and not very friendly we sat down in a cave (sighs) became peaceful Hmm? right Hmm. and now we're going to based on that who I am we want to it was not a taker we want to take the non taker and turn her into a lover Hmm? so again she has to now interact with things but from a different perspective, isn't it? Hmm? So serving is at the core... I say that sometimes, that love is born from the womb of sacrifice. At first it looks like sacrifice, Hmm? but in in time it turns into love. Hmm? So there's a way of moving and interacting and being in the world, but not of it, in terms of the way that other people are, based on the false sense of I and having and so forth, with the knowledge of being. So what I'm saying then is that in loving, there is both action of the having sense and, and there is knowing. Whereas knowledge, knowing cancels out having, and having cancels out knowing, love has a place for knowing and having, and combining them in such a way that that there's something something altogether different by this kind of knowing and having. Hmm? So in our school, hmm, while there is a determined effort to move away from a sense of having, and come to knowledge. It's pursued through the effort to love. Now, what I'm saying to you is that we are units of being. Hmm? We exist. And we don't just exist like matter exists. We're a knowing existence. Consciousness is a knowing existence. What I'm saying is that consciousness is the substratum of knowing. In other words, for there to be knowing or knowledge, there has to be this substratum of a cognizant substance. Whereas matter is 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 insensient and and uncognizant, or unknowing, <laughs> hmm? right? When we say that the self is a unit of being, which means it endures in all circumstance, hmm? it's a unit of sat that means a unit of chit, unit of knowing. Doesn't mean it knows everything. But it's the substratum of knowing hmm? it's cognizant, it's luminous by nature. Hmm? And it's also sat, chit, being, knowing, and Ananda. Ananda means loving. Hmm? It means joy. Joy is is an experience. Hmm? So the self has the capacity for qualitative experience, for apprehension, hmm? for doing. Hmm. But if we move away from having to being and sit in a cave, hmm? we may not take and we may be nice in that regard, but if we want to, we, we now realized, sat and chit, hmm. But if we want to really realize Ananda, then there has to be a significant other to interact with. There is self-love. I could love being. I be. And I know that I be. I know that I exist. And I have no worries. I have no fear of death. I don't have to get up and move and run after something. Because even when... I know this biological... uh, Organism are going to die. but it has no bearing on me. All problems solved. Hmm. This kind of knowing, hmm. sat-chit. But, and I could love that. I could love. That's pretty lovable. Compared as well, it's pretty blissful to know. It's a blissful bliss of relief. Relief can be blissful. If you just found out that you had cancer. Oh my God! And you went home carrying the burden of that. You had to tell your partner, your friends. The dog said, I'm sorry, you've only got most a month to live. Hmm. Whoa. And then suddenly you get a call from the nurse, to say, sorry, that was somebody else's file. It wasn't we, we So then it's, ah, oh, ah, there's a huge relief, like, oh, goodness, whoa, let's see, hey... Let's celebrate. It's, it's like something like that. It's a, so there's bliss in relief, the relief of knowing, knowing experientially, I'm not going to die. I'm not. I'm more than a biological organism. Consciousness is, it has no biological basis. That's one of the big questions in modern science. What's the biological basis of consciousness? The question itself is is biased. It lacks objectivity. Hmm? who says it has has to be a biological basis for it. That's an assumption that you begin with, which makes you less than an objective, in the full sense of the term, scientist. I was saying yoga, spiritual discipline, is objective to the extreme, more so than modern science. Hmm? Because in spiritual discipline, as much as objectivity means stepping back from the thing... Not letting your what you think in naive realism dictate what reality is, but measure things. Hmm. In yoga, we step back from things in the sense that they're ours. And there's a great sense of detachment. Hmm. We live with less and the living is a more full living. Hmm. People say, How do you live like that? You don't have a television? How do you live? Yeah. I mean, that's pretty crude, but it gets that bad sometimes. Hmm? You don't have a wife, you yeah. You don't have family, kids. You just live in a cave. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, spiritual discipline is really about demonstrating, practically, methodologically, hmm, the idea, the theory that there's a self that's independent. Of thoughts and things by stopping thinking and not pursuing things and still living obviously you still have to breathe hmm? that means the body has to have something to go on but the self can thrive hmm? the more it distances itself from the needs of the body and minimizes them hmm? so going in that direction so hmm? we could It's kind of lovable, in a sense, to get the relief that I don't die. If you knew the extent to which you existed, it would be the end of all fear. And fear means all anxiety, like... All anxieties, like go to a social gathering, you have some anxiety. How did I come off? Or talk to somebody. It's just tough to talk to somebody. It's an anxiety. More for some people than other people. Some people are more comfortable in their bodies, they say. They can make you uncomfortable. (laughs) So... There's so much, uh, so well, all this goes completely disappears hmm? in the cave, in the being. Hmm? So it's it's lovable in that sense. It's 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 pleasurable. It's blissful. But how much more the bliss will be hmm? the Ananda, if you love is really graded, if you will, on a, a scale of reciprocation. Hmm? Yeah, he loves me, but he never says so. You never know it. Yeah, I guess he loves me, but you never know it. Sometimes the marriages get like that. <laughs> so the more there's this interaction and reciprocal dealing, the more complete it is. But if there's nobody to reciprocate with, and your love is your ananda, your joy is just, Whew, I love being. It's kind of a small idea of, of of loving, and it's it's about not taking. Where's the giving? Hmm? I could say, well, look, I could give by... If people give me money, I live in the cave, I give it to poor people. So I can give. But this is giving in relation to the world of thoughts and things. What about in the world of consciousness itself? Where would there be the giving there if there's no other one but one? If there's no other? Some forms of Hinduism advocate this idea of being... Knowing is the full sense of existence of, of, of Ananda, the big relief. Hmm? There's no other. If there's no other, hmm, then it's reasonable to, to conclude that possibly the, the loving is, is 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 inhibited by that. If there was another, hmm, so this is the, the theistic idea of Vedanta. That we are the spark of consciousness, and they're the source of consciousness and it makes sense as I'm talking about it, and in another sense too, if we were the source itself, then how do we get into the the problem that we're in in the world of thinking that I that I am is from derived from having hmm? right. Have you ever flown in a airplane? Go against the on a cloudy day. Well, it's only cloudy if you get above the clouds, right? So the sun is always shining. It will never be obscured by the clouds. It produces the clouds by evaporating the water. Hmm? The sun, the clouds cannot obscure the sun. But some of the rays of the sun might be separated kind of from the sun by the clouds, right? So we are like a ray of the sun of consciousness. Mm-hmm. The ray could be under the clouds of illusion, mm-hmm. but the sun can never be under the clouds. So there's a difference between our self as a unit of consciousness, like a ray of sun, and the source. And without that explanation, then how did the source get under the clouds, and what kind of source is it then? You know, it becomes questionable. Hmm. If it's subject to illusion, and so forth, and so on. So, no, two senses. Not only is our material predicament explained by this slight caveat, if you will, slight nuance... Yes, you are one with God, like the ray of the sun is one with the sun. Isn't it? Hey, look, the sun is, is on the lawn, right? Why don't you go sit in the sun on the lawn? Okay, we'll go sit in the sun. We say that, right? But we're actually sitting in the sunlight, which is the sun, yeah, but if we go further, we go, well, yeah, it's not the sun itself. I'm not going to sit in the sun. I burned that, for God's sake. Right? So there's a oneness between the sun's rays and the sun. Hmm? But there's a difference, too. There's a oneness between a spark and a fire, right? Right? But you can't cook with a spark alone. You can't heat yourself just with a match. not very well, you know, it's a spark. You need the fire. So there's a oneness between ourselves as a unit of consciousness and our source. Mm -hmm. And being a spark of the fire or a ray of the sun, we may be subject to the clouds of illusion. And what is the solution to to, to, to dissolve the illusion? The source, the sun. If if we call it in our direction, if we invite it, it, it has full capacity to dissipate the clouds more than anything that we can do. Hmm? So Bhakti is like this. The school of Bhakti is is a is a is a, is a Vedanta a spiritual course of of serving. So it's action, but in relation to the source, to excavate the connection of all material things with their source and use it in the, in the service of the source. Hmm? It invites us, the source Krishna, hmm? into our lives, which dissipates the cloud. Hmm? So, the false sense of having and the I derived from it is dissipated. We get the knowledge of being, what I am, and we get the full experience of Ananda in relation to Krishna, to God. Now that's a big subject itself. What is bhakti? Not only in terms of its capacity to destroy, dissolve illusion, but its positive capacity to forge a relationship between the sun ray and the sun itself. Hmm? And I'm just going to end with this and give you a short example, to help you, help you appreciate it. The sun is pretty important, right? If it didn't come up tomorrow, it would be a big problem. Hmm? right? It's pretty important in our lives, and we think about it in relation to our lives. Sometimes it's used as a metaphor for God, the sun, we, with the sun we have vegetation, we have food, we have light, it, gets, it makes the mind feel happy, hmm? and so on and so forth. It's good for your health, and and uh, and so on. Hmm? It's always shining, it's always 12 o'clock, right? Somewhere. Hmm. It's always 12 o'clock, it's always 12.01, 12.02, hmm? Right, So God is like this, like the sun. But we normally now, when we think of the sun, we think of how the sun in relation to our lives here. It makes me healthy, it's a nice day, this, that. So we're thinking of the sun in relation to our lives here, even when our lives are full of falsity and so forth. Hmm? Still, we should invite the sun into our life. But when we talk about not only how the godhead bringing the godhead into our life will make our life of having more meaningful because we won't just have unlimitedly we'll know well some should be given to others also some godly sensibility to do unto others love your neighbor like yourself these are this didn't come from modern science they come from the bible I'm not a student of the Bible, but that's a pretty good statement. Love your neighbor like yourself. What is the, what is the self? What is the self in the neighbor? And so forth. Hmm? So these, these, this means to, to bring the Godhead into our lives, make our lives better, even the the I have having life. It may be ugly in a larger sense, because they are all taking, but some are taking less than others, so they're nicer. Hmm? They're more kinder. They're kinder, not more kinder. <laughs> uh, so uh, it's now. That's one thing. The other thing is that the sun here, in this, in this analogy, has the capacity to destroy or dismantle the illusion of the I derived from having altogether. Makes you a more full person. Makes you a knower. Hmm? So the sun can, the, the God can make us a, a knower of the self. Hmm? But knowing the self and moving away from the world of taking and not knowing the self and moving in relation to things is both worldly-centered. One wants to get away from the world. One wants to take uh, from the world. Hmm? Bhakti is not about taking from the world or moving away from the world. It's about wondering about this thing. this not what the sun does for me in terms of I could pray to God for things. I might get them. Hmm? Or I might pray for God for knowledge and freedom from things. He might give me that. Okay? The knowledge that goes with that. But in all, both of these thoughts, having in relation to God and being in relation to God, never ask the question, "But what's on God's mind? It's like... What I would like, I'd like to have some things, or I, I would like to move away from things. Hmm? And I could get help in either way. I could be a better illusioned person, or I could be a knowledgeable, realized person, to some extent of the self, by bringing God into my life. But in either case, the question has never been asked, what does God want? Does God, does the source exist only for the rays? What happens on the sun? What about that? What, there are nuclear explosions, all kind of things. Fascinating. What, what, so what Bhakti is about is about what's going on on the sun. You use this analogy. What and how to enter there. To be, if you're a ray, get out of the clouds, rays can enter the sun. Hmm? So what is the life of the Godhead? Hmm? Does God exist only as like an order supplier, or does it have does it have an emotional existence of its own, the source? What that must be like. Hmm? What the rays of God do for this world make it livable, hmm? right? You can't go to certain plants and live there because there's no uh, no sun or star or whatever. <laughs> hmm? What, what, what's the life? What's the sun itself? I'm just using an analogy. So what's the world, of the inner world of consciousness where the, in terms of the source's perspective? So bhakti means to, to ask those kind of questions and pursue that understanding. And interestingly enough, as you all know, if you want to get something from a person or if you want someone to help you get free from something, they're not going to be in, as interested in you if you just want to know what the person wants. If I want to get something from you, or I want you to help me get out of something, I haven't asked the question. What do you want? So you're interested in me in kind of a cool way. Yeah, I could, I could help you get something. Yeah, I'll take it. Okay, have a nice day. Hmm. Or you're having a problem. You approach me; I can help with i help you out, okay? But meanwhile, there's your friends, right? Not—they don't just ask you. To, one of those—they want to know what you're about. How do you feel? You okay? Can I do anything for you? Hmm? This is the kind of relationship we want with the Son, if you will, with the Godhead in bhakti. Such a life is possible, and in that life. We really are living a life not only to be, to have, but, but, but to love is the idea. So I'll end with that. Thank you for listening very much. It's been interesting. What is the time? Okay, went a little too long. So a little technical, but I think you could follow the line of thought to some extent, huh? You seem pretty familiar with this, these ideas. So we're going to stay for a little. A couple hours plants and vegetables, okay let's see okay nice to speak with you all now there's prashad okay Hare Krishna, thank you very much.